Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in awe and in wonder of what you consistently do in our lives, showing up. Lord, all we have left, we don't have words, but just to accept your goodness and your mercy. You alone are worthy to be praised. And it's in that promise that we come today in full surrender. Lord, may your spirit be in this place. May you come into our hearts. May our hearts be open to receive your love, your mercy, your goodness. You're a, you're a place of safe haven. You're who we come to in times of fear and anxiety. You've promised that you'll be there. So in these next few moments, God, may your spirit just fill this place. May it be your words that moves hearts. May it be your love that draws us closer to you. God, we thank you for what you continue to do in the midst of this chaotic world and the things that come our way. You're bigger than all of that. And we submit to that worthy name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, warehouse. I've progressed. I'm in a walking boot now. Yes, I celebrate every step of the way. Uh, the last time that you guys saw me, I had a, a splint on, and I don't have my little schooner anymore. Although that was kind of fun going to the grocery store. Uh, Vanessa would lose me because I just started like going down the aisles super fast. And, um, but uh, things are going well with my leg in case you're wondering or you care. Um, process is going well. And um, my follow-up is on, is on Monday. It's, and I'm hoping that they're going to let me drive. This has been the hardest thing is I can't drive with my foot. Um, so it's, I feel like I'm in, in middle school again, waiting for my parents to pick me up with my backpack, like, where are you? And actually my mom has taken me places. So um, that's, been, that's been fun. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you don't realize how, how uh, what a blessing it is that you can drive until you can't. And you're just relying on people to, to take you places. Um, so um, I'm happy to be here, glad that I, I get the privilege to be here with you guys and uh, not at home with my foot up, so uh, it's just it's just great to be here with you guys, and as you know, if you've been here with us, um, you know that we're starting this new series, we've, we've already, we're kind of a month into it, titled, Who is This Man? Specifically, the life and teachings of Jesus. And we kind of started out by basically establishing that this world, this creation, why we exist, it could not happen if it were not for Jesus. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God's action. What He said, Jesus put into action. It, it, it couldn't be that we were created without Jesus. So there, there is a reason why we're spending all this time on this one person on this one God, and it's because of the importance that he plays in our history, in our present, and in our future. It's because of him 
that we exist. It's because of him that we have another chance at getting it right. You're going to learn, and we're going to learn more about the story of Jesus and the beautiful thing that I have been able to do as I'm rereading the gospel, and specifically we're going to be in the book of Luke today, but I get to kind of relive what I remember reading about Jesus as I was a child. Maybe from a different view and a different perspective now that I've grown up, I, I see things differently, and it's just been really refreshing to go back and, and look through it. It was almost like when I was began to watch The Chosen, some of the stories that I, oh man, that was, I remember where I was when I heard that specific parable or that story. What we're going to look at today is a time that um, is not recalled by all the Gospels, but it is a time in, 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 in Jesus' life that we would consider to be before his ministry. We know that at around 30 years old that he was baptized and kind of then his life begins to be public. Everything starts, I mean, it's just he hits the gas and, it, and he is traveling, he is preaching, he is teaching, he's baptizing, he's doing miracles. But a lot of what we read, the bulk of that, the bulk of the storytelling, the bulk of the things that we see are Jesus performing these miracles and preaching and teaching. But the book of Luke starts a little bit differently. And what we kind of, uh, we, we, we know of his birth, but then there's a, a specific time and place, and maybe you know what I'm talking about already, that happens when he's pretty young, at the age of 12. Maybe that gives it away. But what we're going to look at is the story of Jesus' time in the temple. It's, it's a very special time because this is when, what, where boys went when they were 12 to start learning the teachings of God and, and, and walk in the ways that they were supposed to walk in. And they go and they travel. Now it takes about three days to travel um, to Jerusalem where, where he is going. And, and in this temple story, something really bizarre happens. And we're just going to read the first few verses. And if you want to follow along, we're in Luke 2, starting in verse 41. And it says this, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the day's as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went on a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they, re they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. What we're going to learn today and talk about is the identity of Jesus. You see, during this time, it wasn't uncommon for a 12-year-old to wander. Parents, wouldn't it be nice to, if you had to lose your child, you'd probably want it to happen in the temple. Probably one of the safer places you don't want to, you know, it's not like losing your kid at, at Disney. It's all dreams come true until you lose your child at Disney. And no longer is it a dream, but it is a full-on nightmare with all the things that are happening. And, and you know, I, I know my children, 
And if it was Adeline, she'd be looking for us the second she was lost. If it's Isla, she is going around looking at what she can get into, what line, who she can boss around, where she can go. She would, she would completely forget about us. She'd be looking for where Mickey Mouse was. But Jesus is lost, and, and it's not the worst place to get lost. And it actually isn't uncommon for this to happen because back then a 12-year-old was the equivalent to a kid that's was at the maturity level to a kid that's 16 or 17 now. Parents, again, if you have a 17-year-old, you know that you're not as concerned. You still care about your child at 17. Maybe you guys are like, oh, I came with you at 18, out of my house. But maybe when you're 12 years old and you're a parent, you're a little bit more concerned as to where they are, who they're with, keeping an eye on them because they're still 12. And when you're 16 or 17, you begin to kind of lay off a little bit knowing that they'll find their way back and they maybe have a cell phone then. And, but at, at this point in time, there was no cell phones. There was no tracking device you can put on their phone to know how fast they were driving or who they're with or, or where they're actually going. And at this point, there are about 4 million inhabitants. So imagine 4 million people losing your child. But still, Mary's not super concerned because if you can kind of think about it, he's about at the material level of 17. So there isn't that big of a concern. But she, they go back and they assume that Jesus is with the group and they realize that he isn't. So they slowly make their way back and say, maybe he's back there. It's during this time that Jesus travels to the temple, and, and this is where the, the teachings begin to form. These are the necessary steps that Jesus has to take in order to fulfill what we've, what we've been reading about, in order to fulfill what he's been called to. When God sends his son to come down and a baby in a manger, there are things that he must do in order to prepare himself for his ministry, for his calling, for when he becomes older. There are things that he has to do, and this is one of those things that he must do. So Jesus now is found. Mary finds Jesus, and the first thing he says is, why were you worried? Didn't you know where I was? Now, if my kid, if I'm stressed out, and my kid says, what are you worried about? It's not going to end well. But Jesus says, why are you worried? This is where I was supposed to be. And I can imagine that right before those moments, after three days, in any time in history, I think as a parent, you begin to panic. And I can imagine Mary, if, if you, you know... I know Vanessa has a look on her face. If something's wrong with our children, I know the look. Like something has happened. Husbands, you probably know the look. If something's wrong with your child, wives, you know the look you get. It's like you're willing to break down any wall to get to your child to figure out what's going on. And I can imagine at the end of these three days, there is some stress and some panic because she is called to mother the savior of the world. And now she's lost him. But it isn't the case anymore like it used to be. We don't just let our kids wander wherever they want. I remember as a kid, I used to go play in the woods by my house and build tree houses and 
go to my friends' homes and stay there all day long. And never once did my parents didn't really know where I was, but they knew I was close. Um, and then my dad had this like whistle that I can't even do that the whole neighborhood knew that I was known as, I'll let you guys in on a secret. I was known as Tiger in the neighborhood because my grandfather, super original, when I was born, um, he bought me a, a shirt that said Tiger on it at the thrift store. And I, this is what I'm told is after that is what he started calling me because of the shirt I wore as a baby, Tiger. And that name stuck. And so they knew in the neighborhood when my dad whistled, Tiger has to go home. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that luxury. Parents, I don't think you, you do that much anymore. But the level of freedom was much different during his time. And so he is gone missing. And she finally finds him. And he says, why are you worried? Although fully God and fully man, as we know Jesus was, Jesus' identity was, the, was determined by his purpose, and his actions in his life. Jesus chose to stay back, not out of disobedience to Mary, but out of obedience and a calling to his heavenly Father. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. This just goes to show you the level of spirituality and maturity that Jesus has at the age of 12 to leave and, and not worry about where his parents are, but knowing that I have this calling in my life and my level of obedience to my Creator God, to my Heavenly Father, is to be here, to sit at the feet of these men and to learn so that I can be prepared for my calling in life. Jesus saying, why are you worried, was a confident phrase as if to say I'm supposed to be here this is why this is why we came didn't you know see Jesus was on a completely different atmosphere and level than most kids at the age of 12 he says I thought it was obvious where I would be you know why I'm here and it's to honor my heavenly father Jesus was doing the work he was taking the necessary steps to prepare him for his calling in his life. I don't know how many of us in here are like this, but are we putting the time in? Are we spending time with God in our spiritual life when the stakes are low? Are we putting in the work? Are we taking the necessary steps to prepare us for what God is going to give us next. There are many of us who uh, encounter specific callings or we are given an opportunity. And so more, more times than not, I hear, I don't think I'm ready for that. We ask people to get involved in a specific area of ministry at church. I don't know, man, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm ready. But are we taking the steps in walking with God, in relationship with God, to prepare us for what he's calling us to be? And Jesus, at the age of 12, knew what he was going to be called to do. And he couldn't just go from zero to 100 and begin his ministry. He had to learn. He had to spend time with his creator, with his heavenly father, with the people who could equip him with what he needed. 
It's easy for us to take those steps and run to our Heavenly Father when things are just really, really bad. When, when we face opposition or we're in the darkest places of our life, we tend to do one of two things. We run to or we, want, we, we run away from God. I'm, I'm one that runs to God in those moments. And life would just be so much easier if our walk with God was a daily, continual walk that continued to prepare us for those moments when we're in our toughest places. When Jesus, when he's first baptized, the first thing that happens is he is in the desert and he faces his most challenging time where Satan tries to tempt him. And if Jesus wasn't taking those necessary steps, he would not be ready to face the desert moments. Are we submitting to God when the stakes are low? Many times in life, God called us to do something beyond our capabilities, beyond what we can imagine, but we turn away from it because we don't think that we are prepared to face those challenges. We don't take the steps, the everyday committing to God in your life. We wait till everything's chaotic and we run to God and the beautiful thing about who God is and the identity of Jesus is he's going to be there no matter what. But wouldn't life be so much better if we were just prepared and we walked in faith and knowing that no matter what comes our way, God's got our back. Praising God through the storms and the dark valleys. I have a friend who I went to school with and he was a great ahead of me. He was a sophomore and back then, it was like your sophomore year where you got your first car. And I remember he pulled up in like the freshest car, like everybody wanted the new Honda Civic. It was like the nice, it was like it had just gotten remod, redone, you know, it had like the, the cool lights and it had like this pointy front end and everybody wanted the Honda Civic VTEC. It was all about the VTEC motor. Like you had to have it. It was like the coolest thing. You had to have like the VTEC badge on the back of your car. And he rolls up with this car and everyone's like, oh man, you got the new car. And I talked to him and he said, I've been saving since sixth grade to get this car, right? Talk about like motivation and, and discipline. He'd been saving from sixth grade to get this car and he bought this car cash. I'll never forget like, how impressive this was as a freshman to know like someone was saving money for that long to get this car. I mean, he was like, he put towels in the back of his car. I mean, maybe you guys know who I'm talking about because he does go to this church. I don't think he's here today. But he put towels in the back and on the, like his, his, like it was like pristine. And I think he had the car up until like a few years ago. Still had it. Um, and I was just super impressed. Then sophomore year comes, and I'm like, Dad, I want my car. I didn't have the money. Luckily, I didn't get a brand new car, but my parents were gracious enough to buy me something pretty nice. It wasn't a 2000 at the time, 2004, 2003 Honda Civic, but it, it was nice. But this friend took the steps to prepare himself to succeed as a sophomore and buy a car cash. If any of you have done that, I applaud you. I want to be your friend because you're going to be very successful when you get older. So please come see me. I want to be your friend. If you've saved your money since sixth grade to buy a brand new car. The USA Olympic team in 2004 
the basketball team, if, if you were around and you remember that, that team, we were the most talented team. We were known, the USA has been known, actually they lost yesterday, so they're out of the FIBA World Classic, sad. But this team came together two weeks before thinking they could just come together and just like roll through all these other countries. In the first game, they lose to Puerto Rico by 19 points. I was conflicted because I did like Puerto Rico too. But this team gets together. If you watch the documentary, they got together two weeks before, putting together this amazing talent, but they did not play long enough together, and they were beaten by a team who had put in the work, who would taken the steps to be successful. But this team, this USA team, they were the chosen ones. They were the ones who were supposed to take over and win gold every single year. So they didn't really have to practice because they were the chosen, they were part of the chosen nation to win the basketball classic, the basketball Olympics. It was tradition. They were, we were the oldest country to play basketball. We invented the sport and now we're losing at the sport that we invented. But they didn't know each other like that. Here's the thing. If we fail to prepare, we fail to put ourselves in the best position for God to use us. If we fail to take the steps, if we've, if we've accepted Jesus in our life, and we know what we're supposed to do, but we put it to the side, and we don't make Jesus the priority in our life, then we fail to prepare for what he's calling us to do. We limit what God can do when we limit our time with him. Jesus' temple story was just part of the process of what God had called his son to become. But it had to happen. It was necessary for things to happen in the way that they did. For Jesus to fulfill being fully God, fully man, coming here to save the world that turned their back on him, that fell to sin, he had to take these steps perfectly in order for this to happen. And I'm so glad that we have a Savior who gives us second and third chances that we don't have to live up to that standard. Instead, we submit to that standard. We submit to Him so that in the areas that we're weak, He is strong. But we don't know that if we don't spend time with Him, if we don't take the little steps in our life to prepare us for where we're supposed to go. Jesus in the temple had to happen. It was a necessary step. So where is your temple? What is your temple? What is the necessary step that you know you need to be doing in your walk with God in order to prepare you for what's next in your life? Maybe you know what it is and you're pushing it aside. Maybe it's a discipline. It's a habit that you know you need to stop because that's getting in the way of your walk with Jesus. Where is your temple? What, did, what are you doing in your life that should, that, you, that should prepare you for an everlasting journey with Jesus? Husbands and wives, what are you doing today as parents, your daily practices to make you better um, so, to make you better fathers and mothers? What steps are you taking? Are you intentionally working on how can I become a better father and a better mother? What does that look like in your life? 
Is it a continual practice to be the best father and the mother that you can be for the children that God has given you to take care of, to grow in, in his name? What practices and disciplines are you creating in your home now? Better question, what kind of life are you living at home that your kids can see that you want them to live when they're older? What are you doing today to prepare yourself and your children to become men and women of God? How are you treating each other in your home? Is that the kind of relationship you want your children to have when they get older? It's the little things that matter today that prepare you and your children for the future. Any singles out there, what are you doing in your own life to prepare you to become the husband and the wife that God is calling you to be in the future? What disciplines are you integrating? What spiritual disciplines do you practice so that when that when God gives you that man or that wife in your in that man or that that man or that woman in your life, you are prepared to resemble God in every facet of your life. What does that look like? What are you doing today to prepare you for that moment of marriage? You can't expect great success in a marathon if you don't put in the work. You can't show up the day of and expect great results. Jesus at the age of 12 was so disciplined. The spiritual maturity of the level of Jesus in this moment surpassed so many, but he knew that he had to stay focused. I am one who loves the big picture of things. I know I know what I want things to look like. I have a vision for something. I know what I, it needs to, to end up looking like and, and, and being created. But what I'm terrible at is like the steps that need that I need to get there. I'm like the worst. And that's why like Pastor Justin and I work so great because it's like I want it to look like this. And he's like, oh, I know how to get there. And he plans the steps. But it's focusing on those things that get us to where we need to be. I can't tell you in this true story of grown men that I know that wait until their mother wakes up to make them breakfast. They won't eat. They'll wait till their mom wakes up, makes them their food. As a young kid, I already knew how to make like scrambled eggs, my tater tots, my veggie patties. I probably shouldn't be using the stove at such a young age, but I did, and it was clearly obvious that I knew how to cook because I ate more than I should have as a child. But so much of our life is lived reactionary. We don't learn things at a young age. We don't put ourselves in these disciplines and these practices, and then life hits us head on, and we just don't know how to handle a lot of the situations that come our way. One thing we need to understand from this point moving forward is that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And he's pulled into these different directions. He knows what it's like to live a life of perfection where there is no sin, no shame, no hurting, no loss. He's experienced it. He came from a place where none of that existed and now he's called to take all of that on. He is now called to feel 
the sorrow and the heartache, to deal with loss and to struggle with temptation. Some say, oh, Jesus had it easy because he was God, but he was also fully man. It's like, it's like a blind person who wasn't blind as they were born and growing up, and then they become blind. They struggle so much because they knew what they have seen, and now they can't see it anymore. Jesus knew the reality of being a divine being, now be taking on human flesh to deal with what we have to deal with. We were born in a sinful world. We've never experienced it, but we want to. So we just live in this world, and, and because we don't have that taste of what it looks like or experienced it, some of us, when we, we don't read Scripture, and we don't know what Jesus has to offer, we're just okay with living our life the way it is. Well, this is just the way it's going to be, so I'm just going to submit to this and fall, because this is all I know. But Jesus promises something else. He promises eternal life where there is no more heartache, no more pain, no more sorrow. And it's a daily walk with him where we understand and we experience and we accept that gift of freedom and grace and eternal life. As a result of Jesus' life and his, and, and, and his taking on of human flesh and being an, a divine being, he had a decision to make. Either he submitted to the world or he submitted to his heavenly father. The story of Jesus in the temple was one of the first major decisions where he stayed true in his, and he knew where his identity lied. It did not lie in his friends who were maybe there pulling him in different directions. It didn't lie in some, some um, off event or uh, things in the city happening. It lied in the discipline and the obedience to his father to stay at the feet of these men to teach him what he was supposed to learn, to equip him to be the best son that he could be and in the future be the savior that was promised the book of genesis through the end of revelation either refer to a coming messiah or back to the messiah that came to save the world and here jesus is at the age of 12 fulfilling that prophecy jesus was identified by his heavenly father. His identity wasn't in anything else but his father, his heavenly father. So what are you putting in front, ahead of, or before your relationship with God? How are you being identified? What is stopping you from taking those small steps today that prepare you for a future of abundance? What does that look like? What, what is your priority? What is your center point? Because if it's not Jesus, then you're not taking those necessary steps to prepare you for your abundant future. More often than not, the conversations and the verbiage from most church people, at least for me growing up, was we need to read, we need to solve every little mystery in scripture and it was always followed by so that we can be ready for when Jesus comes back so we obsessed over things and I've said this before but we have we have looked and we've we've dug in and dug our heels and trying to figure out every equation in scripture 
and what we do, what we say, that what we proclaim in those moments when we, we, we prioritize that over a relationship with God is that we can earn our own salvation. We need the knowledge ourselves because then we know that we'll be ready. And don't get me wrong, those, those things, everything in this book has value and it is what we're called to study and learn. But above all of that is walking with Jesus. Above all of that is being obedient to what he called, he's called us to so that we can understand his love, his grace, and his mercy so that that love, grace, and mercy that we experience, we can share with others. By saying that we have to figure everything out and obsess over that and say, oh, walking with God isn't that valuable. We're saying that our knowledge is supreme to God's knowledge. That it didn't matter what he did on the cross. It matters what we actually know, what we can regurgitate, and how we can impress people with our words. And somehow, some way, we've been able to obsess on the wrong things in church, forgetting that we're first called to love God and to love each other first. The more we submit to that walk, the more we can put our value and identity in God. By us valuing knowledge over relationship with Jesus, we're saying what he did did not matter. We disarm what Jesus can do for us when we think it's up to what we can do to learn or attain salvation rather than him being the one who paid it all. What can the Jesus I walk with daily do for me? It's amazing the life that you live when you know that you're freed from every single thing in this world, that nothing has dominion over you. When your allegiance and your focus and your daily walk is saying, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to submit to you daily. You realize Nothing's as big as that. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing can take you away from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from his love. Jesus in the temple knew this is where he needed to be. This is what he was called to do. To keep focused on the Father. To walk with him daily, no matter what was going on in his world, his first allegiance was to his father. There is no one thing, no idea, no sin, no person, no trauma that is greater than God's love. We don't know that. You don't know that unless you submit to him and accept saying, God, I know my problems are big right now, but you're bigger than those problems. My issues I, don't, I, can't grasp, I can't get a grasp of them, but I know you can. So I submit that to you in these moments. It doesn't matter what you've done or who, or who you think has dominion over you. God says, I am bigger than that. And that is how we are called to be identified. That is where identity lies, is in the love and grace of Jesus. Whether you want it to or not, 
You are identified by the choices that you make. If you're in high school, you got to know this. You're identified by the choices you make today. That is how people see you. What choices are you making and what does your identity lie in? What occupies most of your time in your mind is likely what's going to come out of you. And that is how you are identified. Are your thoughts, is your future, as you plan, is it focused on Jesus or is something else your priority? How are you identified? The tendencies that you let occupy your mind is how people see you. It is, it is what's going to motivate you to make your decisions. There may be a time that comes in your life where you have a fork in the road, where God gives you that choice. Will you listen? And you, you'll, you'll have multiple forks in that road where you have to make that choice, where God continues to say, I want you to choose me. The pain, the heartache, give it to me. It is a daily decision and choice that we make to submit to God. What is your identity and what's important to you? What matters? I recently recently had the the privilege to lead worship with some high schoolers. And uh, we threw something on them that was um, not planned and said, hey, can you guys do like the, the opening uh, song to this kind of instrumental. And so they came up, they worked on it, they, they created this really cool piece and, and I'm sitting um, in the back somewhere else and this lady says, this is not church. This is not church music. I cannot worship this way. What I wanted to say, well, I'm sorry that church is not about you. Worship is not about you. It's about what God can do for you. We tend to make situations more about us than about the God of wonder, the God of love, the God who came to save the world. And that gets in the way of what God can actually do in your life. So what are you being called to do today? in your walk and in your journey, what is God calling you to do? Maybe it's out of your comfort zone. Are you putting yourself in a position to know that your confidence is found in God to say, whatever you give me, God, I'm willing to do. I I live a life of sacrifice to you and nothing else matters. In just a few moments after this song, you're gonna have an opportunity to hear about something that maybe you're called drawn to do. Maybe it's out of your comfort zone. It's not happening today, but it's about something we're going to do in a few weeks. But maybe God's calling you to serve your church in a way that does not make you feel comfortable. But the beautiful thing about that is that's where God wants you to be in moments where you don't know how you're going to figure it out, but all you can do is rely on Jesus. My prayer is in these next few moments is that you begin to know who this man is. Maybe you don't know the story of Jesus and this is your first time hearing about 
who Jesus is. But my prayer is that you begin to make a decision. Maybe it's small today. Jesus, I'm open to what you have to say. I'm open to your leading. God, move in me. Tell me where I need to go next, what I need to do, what job I need to take, what I need to leave. May your decisions honor him before anything else. But today, maybe it's just I'm open to what you have to tell me. Or maybe it's something drastic like, God, I'm willing to give up my life of sin and heartache and treating people terribly and fall in love with who you are. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have with someone that you're just too embarrassed to have or you're too ashamed because you were in the wrong. But the beautiful thing is when we submit our lives to Jesus, it's not about what we can do, but what he can do through us. So what's your temple? What's God calling you to focus on, to hone in on, to submit to, to give up? My prayer is that when we leave this place, we leave with an understanding that the only thing we should be identified by is by the love of Jesus and what he can do through us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for who you are. That we don't have to be identified by our past, by our sins, by the bad decisions that we've made. We're not identified by our friends. We're not influenced by that because you paid the price that we can be identified by your grace and your mercy. And it's because of, of your blood that we are made perfect. So Lord, we today accept that free gift of grace. We take you up on that next chance. And we make that decision today to be identified by you. May we take those little steps today to prepare us for what you're calling us to do in the future. That when that time comes, we say, here I am, Lord, send me. It is in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.